I am joined here in London with not one but two former Five Magazine cover stars, Kiko Navarro and Richard Earnshaw. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. But that's not all. We are also joined by the manager of BBE Records. Lovely to meet you all. Mr. Lee Bright, who is looking after Kiko on his, uh, on his journey through England. As are you, Will. How's, how's that working out so far? You comfortable? Very good so far. I'm comfortable so far. Happy. You wait till later. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you on Sunday. <laughs> okay, we'll be back to you on Sunday. Yeah. So, Incidentally, nobody's looking after me through my uh, journey through the Richard, UK. there's a car waiting outside. It's got a long wheelbase. It's got furry animals in the back. Oh, You're going to be fine. That's amazing. Got a limousine like a full of play, care bears. Yeah, like a soft yeah. play area. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll get into some uh, some industry topics and we'll have a chat about music, but let's let's talk a little bit about the game of life as well today. So, first of all, you've both been on the cover of Five Magazine. Uh, how did it change your life? Is it is it difficult to go to the shops now? It's just gone downhill ever since, quite frankly. Yeah, it's the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I was very honoured. It was the first time it happened to my life, so it's going to be forever in my in my memories. Yeah, that's good to hear. You're my favourite so far. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll interject with a genuine answer. Um, it's you know, the most um, humbling thing is to know that there is such a massive market out there. You, know, you sit in your room in your little studio, you make your music, you write your songs and you spend so much time over it without any real grasp of how many people are out there listening to it. Mm. You know, like for example, you know, so many people whinge about streaming numbers and stuff. But yesterday I was just going through some of the streaming figures for some of my bits and pieces and also some of the, the catalogue on the labels and I was absolutely staggered with how many people are listening via streams. I mean, it's astonishing. So when you get asked to you know, do a feature for a publication. It kind of just sort of reaffirms that you think, yeah, just, you know, it's, this is not in vain. I'm making music and there are people out there that are genuinely appreciating it, which is an awesome thing. Excellent. So Kika, you just arrived to London. Yeah. The weather is Crap, special. shit. Yeah. Do you find it, <laughs> when you tour, do you find it hard to leave? Mallorca, because it sounds like such a, a paradise place to live. I tell you that at this period of the year, um, it really makes a difference. Because now in Mallorca we are about to start the summer. If, if we would be talking in February, we have four seasons in Mallorca, so uh, even we have more sun than here for sure, with all my respect, uh, it would be almost the same. But you know, in Mallorca, for instance, yesterday when I was preparing all the, the bag, all the clothing, I was saying, wow, and I have to go back to the winter clothing because I checked the weather in London and even it's not too cold, I had to take some jackets, some... So yes, uh, at this period of the time that I really uh, wish to get in the summer, to get like a barefoot and just uh, shorts and, and t-shirts, yeah, it makes a difference, but uh, I'm so happy to be here because uh, it's about five years I'm not in London. 
So I'm so excited to meet people and today I met Richard, somebody who I know from years, but I never had the opportunity to, to meet personally, to have this good conversation we had before. And also you and also Lee, of course. And more people that I'm going to meet. I, I was in, in Love Vinyl before and I met Stuart Patterson, who I didn't see for 16 years. Wow. Yeah, because I met him. I, actually, I, I only met him once. Um, in 2001, I did a... What, what happened? <laughs> I was going to say something so terrible <laughs> that I'm going to have to leave the room. Come on. Don't carry on, because I don't want to spoil this. Come on, Carry No, I can't. I'll tell you later. Okay. Let's carry downhill first. Okay, so... It's maybe one for the subscribers section. Then. <laughs> <laughs> we triple X rated. Yeah. I mean... Uh, in 2001, I did a compilation for Tommy Boy UK, and we did the release party in Cargo. I don't know if still it's open this venue. So that day, I, I played with the steward, and all of a sudden, I met him in, in the store. So these are the, the beautiful things that music mm, makes to happen. So it's all good. <laughs> Put in the story short. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and traveling all over the world, but coming home to Mallorca, I guess, is, is important to you. You never felt like leaving, no, moving I away. tell you that um, I wouldn't, I never will change the place to live. Mallorca is just perfect. I, I was born there and I will die there unless I pass away when I'm traveling for DJ. I hope not. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> or in dodgy hotel rooms in Shoreditch, exactly. not Shoreditch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nothing dodgy about this hotel room. <laughs> We only book the best BBA artists. Thank you. Thank you. I tell you thank you because I have been in tiny rooms that literally only the bed fits inside. Wow. A small one. So thank A you. A child's cot. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're all in here. The, the champagne is flowing. The, and there's room to swing several cats. Mm, the platter of caviar is on the way. Yeah. Uh, the girls are coming and knock, yeah, knocking the door. Well. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> So Richard, as a, as a Londoner born and bred, and, and you escaped. I did, yes. Um, would you ever consider moving back to London? Absolutely no chance. Um, London is an awesome place. It's, there's an excitement that I feel when I come back to London that will obviously never leave me because this is where I was born. But I'm only an hour and a half away on the south coast by the sea in a very, very pleasant quintessential English village um, which is the perfect sort of place to it's escapism in a way it's the perfect place to make music you know there's no um, there's nothing to kind of distract you I mean literally the village has a, a small selection of pensioners and a few dogs um, and I'm just left to my own devices to make as much noise as I possibly can um, but I can jump in the car on the train. I'm in London. I have a lot of friends still in London. I still have family in London. So I don't think I'd ever move back here just because London is it's kind of not London anymore in a way. You know, to even think about living in a house anywhere near as nice as the house I'm living in, you're talking, you know, trillions of pounds in some tucked away little muse somewhere to have that same level, that same quality of lifestyle. Um, so for me, it's not a place to live anymore, London. It's a place to kind of explore and enjoy for what it is and then step out of it 
and go back to wherever it is that you know that you're living. Um, that's yeah. No, I'm not going to live here again. The long and short of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess having grown up here, you must have seen the nightlife change in London quite drastically. Absolutely. I mean, right through from early days going out in the West End. I mean, East End London. You know, this kind of um, vastly popular um, sort of hustle and bustle in the Shoreditch area, for example, now, it wasn't there then. It was an absolute toilet. You would avoid at all costs. Um, right through when I was living in South London, when I was at Goldsmiths College, um, the fact I wasn't killed to death at least a dozen times in three years doing my music degree is in its, it's astonishing, quite frankly. Um, but now, I was there last year, and it's absolutely lovely. It is, it's a very, very lovely, almost, dare I say, bordering on trendy area. Probably because, you know, the epicentre, the very centre of London has become so unattainable now. Um, when gentrification happens and things improve, as they have done in New York, as they have done in Chicago, as they have done in London, does that, in your opinion, take some of the edge off the nightlife if you don't have to kind of survive going through quite a dangerous area to get to the party that you're going to when it's very exciting and it's quite it's quite raw is that part of the thing because you know a lot of people feel like London has perhaps declined in terms of its nightlife over the last few years well at the same time as, as gentrification and the, the, the big money has been coming in you know the it's very possible. I mean, there's obviously been a lot of licensing issues, most publicly, of course, the Fabric, um, which is now reopened. Um, so I think for me, it's all about balance. You have to have balance. It's good for the soul and it's good for your own social awareness and development, your own life, essentially. You can't live, like, for example, my two children, they're very young, only seven and four. And we live in this beautiful little village, which you have been to, and it's very lovely. You can walk to the sea, sit in a nice country pub, have a pint, some, you know, white bait with the eyes still in, in a beautifully fluffy, um, you know, kind of batter with some salad on the side. It's very, very lovely. Um, but I have said to them, they have to, they have to do their time on the other side. They've got to go, you know, prep, maybe they'll do it whilst they're studying. They've got to go to London or another big city and experience what it's like to not have those things right there. Because you've got to get perspective without it. You, we may as well, we're just all headless chickens. You know, the only reason I know that where I live now is, is amazing is because I was born and brought up in London and because I've travelled to some unbelievable places over the years. As a DJ, I mean, you know, driving through villages where they literally handcuff their horses um, and you see these horses kind of tripping over themselves, falling over because they don't want them to run away because it's part of their, their livelihood. And there I am in a car with air conditioning getting paid equivalent to three, four months salary or more. So you've got to have perspective. Without it, we're pretty fucked all round really. So yeah, there you go. That's my... Um, pennies worth. <laughs> That's a few pennies. That's a yeah, okay, maybe it's a quid. I'm, I'm feeling that. Yeah. Maybe it's a quid. The balance. I'm, I'm one of the things I was going to say, actually, because something you did mention that really stuck in uh, stuck in my mind was the fact that the white bait actually had eyes. Yeah, you've got how many times have you had them when 
they clearly were caught without any eyes. The white bait well, have eyes. The hills you know, have eyes. Well, no, because I have. I, I know that some white bait has appeared not on my plate, but without eyes, which clearly have been purchased from a high street uh, frozen food outlet. So, if you white bait hasn't got eyes, walk. That's some great advice. It's a lift Well, you know me, I'm, I'm, I, I do, I'm as at home in the kitchen as I am in the studio, so you like, you your white bait's got to have eyes. Do you do you cook, Kiko? Yeah, I cook, I like to cook. Yeah, I love to cook. I'm not the best one, but I try. Mm. Yeah, so my family's happy. Someone told me a long time ago not to trust a musician who can't cook. Yeah, actually there is, there is a relation mm. between musicians DJs and and cook. Maybe it's all about mixing. Mm. It's, cre it's creative. Yeah. It's yeah. creatively combining ingredients. Mm. Understanding your materials. Exactly. Which, what goes yeah. with what and yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. So Kiko, your album Everything Happens for a Reason is getting a lot of love at the moment, and I know you covered this earlier with uh, with Richard. But do you feel like the extra work involved in making an album? is worth it as opposed to putting out a series of singles or a series of EPs? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's worth it. And it's like, um, for me, it's like, uh, let's, let's say that we as producers, we go to different stages through the years. So for me, 2015 was the year of the singles because I, I worked hard the, the, the year before, so all of the sudden I had different singles to put out, so I was lucky to release on on one of my favorite labels like Yoruba Records, Local Talk, Large, Exploited and, and, uh, and others. Um, but I reached the point that I thought, okay, I'm going to keep doing singles on different labels for the next years or let's do something different. So then I have to recognize it not it, it was not my idea to do an album. At that time I, I was working with a press agent in Spain and it was her who she she told me, Kiko, do an album. I say why? Yeah, because this year has been very good for you, uh, single-wise, and I think it's like a, like a one step beyond. And then I say, okay, uh, I like the idea. So then, after I talked to her, and actually the, the funny thing is, the day that uh, she told me that, it was the day that we finished working together. For no reason, there, well, I mean, no reason, I mean that there was no any problem at all. Uh, but I talked to her and I say, look, I release all the music already. So now I don't have any product to to push or to support by by the press and etc. So now I need a break. Uh, and then she, it was her um, when when she told me, so do the album. I say, okay. So thank you for the idea, but we we never work. Uh, actually, I haven't worked with her again. But the Anything we did together, it was great, and still we have a good relationship. But when I think that it it was her who who said do that, and it was the day that, that we finished that yeah. our working relationship, somehow it's 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 funny. So so then I started to work on in November, 
uh, on tracks and I just wanted to feel free to do whatever I wanted whatever inspiration I had no limit just do it and and the, the for me the, the interesting thing on this album because actually I, I just did one before and it was like uh, 10 years ago before um, the perceptions one on Pacha recordings that one uh, it was um, I had a big how can I say I had many musicians involved so it was very musical so this time I wanted to do it by my own maybe I, I, I have a featuring with another DJ or one musician or one singer but not like before that in, in a track I could have six seven eight different studio musicians so I wanted to do everything by my own because I, I learned a little bit uh, in the previous year so and I wanted to do what I had in my mind in different moments so I started in November and I finished around April May it was quite fast and this is how it is excellent and like you say the story of, of how the, the album came about kind of chimes with the, the title of the album as well yeah yeah I mean and also this album I think it's uh, for the first time I did something that really defines me as a DJ and as a producer when after you listen to the, the, the album the whole album then you know me at 100% and this is something that I learned after making the album because I this this is something that I in most of the interviews when when it when the, the theme is, is coming on the table I say um, I sent the album to my friend Gabriele Pozzo also he has done uh, a, a, a compilation on BBE recently and then he told me I sent the album before it was released to have his feedback and he told me I love the whole thing but I miss something and I say oh interesting what do you miss and he said I miss the concept and I said cool and then I was thinking while I was talking to him and say what do you mean he said well there are some artists that when they do an album more or less they stick to one style mm -hmm. let's say you do, you do rock so you do rock maybe you do a rock ballad but the whole color of the album is one mm -hmm. so it's with the same instruments with the same kind of feelings but it's one color mm -hmm. so basically he told me you have many colors on this album so it can be uh, a bit confusing after talking to him i say gabriel you did you 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 made me a favor already and he said what i say i realize this album it's me because this is how it is when i play music i can't stay i can play only uh one particular genre i can't because it's not me so this this is how it is. So <laughs> this this is how I am. Yeah, the colors on the cover and the kind of, yeah, it's, it is a very vibrant yeah. album with a lot of different yeah. colors in it. So here's a question getting a little bit more in an industry direction. You're a label owner. You have your own record I, label. I was. Or you were. But I'm thinking about to start again. Yeah, <laughs> but you chose to release your album on a, on a different label. And I know, Richard, you release virtually all of your music 
on your own label group. So I guess the question for the group really is kind of what's the positives and negatives of kind of choosing to release on a on another label or, or self-releasing? And, and why did you take that decision? Let's start with you, Kiko. Okay, so when, when I finished the album, actually at the moment I don't have any label. I had the label before and I had the experience uh, through three years. Uh, but uh, at that time I didn't have any label, so I wanted to put it out on, a, on another label. To answer your question, I think that, because now I'm thinking about to start a label again, so uh, I think that when you when you release your album or your music on another label, I think first of all, you take some profit from the profile of the label. So basically, it's not the same to release on a, on a label that has a very high profile than uh, on a label that nobody knows. So that really helps you. It's not the same to say, I have released this album on this label than on another. So then also you get profit from the uh, structure of the label. It's not your own, that you are maybe only one person who has to, to take care of many different things. You are working with a team of people. So each one knows what to do and, and you know with who you have to talk for the different uh, aspects. So it, it really helps when you work with a good company, good label, and somehow it's going to put you in a different position. Rather than when you work with your, when when you release on your own label, okay, you do your best, but uh, at the end it's only one person. So I think that uh, in general you can get more things if you work with a team that when you are alone. Mm. Richard, do you have kind of a, a, a label group and an established structure? Do you still? So, for example, I guess you're looking into. Delivering another album? Are we going to get another album? For you you will. And if so, will it be? Not you personally, but lots of other people will. Would as it well. be? Yeah, I won't. I won't be allowed one. After <laughs> <laughs> insulting me earlier. Um, no. Yes, I am working on a, a new album. Also working on a new Spirit Chaser album, and also on. It's another Richard Earnshaw album, kind of. But as you, we've already gone through, the Simplexity project is kind of an art music project. Um, loosely and I shall loosely summarize it's essentially the interpretation of art visual art into music which is obviously a completely subjective process so it's I've chosen a selection of artworks and I'm interpreting them and translating those into music so those or the, the, the you know the, these album projects are more than likely going to appear on one of the labels that that we run um, but my first album in time wasn't on our label um, the Spirit Chaser album the first one we did uh, we released initially on Guest Records but then we signed with Sony Music down in South Africa because one of the singles from it kind of escalated the whole project into a whole different level of uh, uh, marketing and promotion that we simply didn't have the resources um, to manage especially in that particular territory um, and consequently we did two more albums down there with them um, so in terms of self-releasing or releasing elsewhere I think you've got to have you know as a musician you're so you have such a tight creative grip over what you're doing 
because it's your baby. It's your, it is like you say, it really does give everybody, anybody that listens to it is listening to your personality. They're becoming, to, they're understanding you as a person. Um, but when it comes to the rather sort of mechanical process of taking that sort of passionate uh, product and getting it to be heard by as many people as you possibly can, sometimes you do need to just let go of it and let someone else that has no um, sort of creative connection to it to just take that product and go, we could do something awesome with this. And you just have to let go of it. You just have to have faith in the person that is doing it. You know, so even though we do self-release a lot of stuff, we all we are always open to licensing, always. Because if someone else shows interest in that product, it means that they have a whole different perspective of what they think they can do with it, beyond what we're already doing. So it would be utterly stupid to kind of discount that as a potential route to an even bigger market. So Lee, as, as, as someone coming from purely the label perspective, I guess the question in, in your direction would be that kind of, that responsibility in the process, you know, when, when you're approached by an artist, you know, do you usually very quickly get a sense of, of, of the right project that you want to work and, and what you can add? And how, how, how does the kind of selection process go? you personally wow Com combination of things really um, BBE has always been a home for projects musicians people that, that, that fit so we we come from dare I say it we come not from a, a, a strong sense of the business side of music. We come from a love of music, a passion of music, and um, people who know about the history of the label will know that um, Peter, one of the founders of the label, um, he started out as a DJ in, in clubs, and not only were they clubs which were very um, much present in, in, in the early 90s in London, so you, this was like what, what I would call almost like a second wave of the, the rare groove movement. Club, clubs were, were still, um, still uh, many in that there were many clubs that were very diverse in what they played. Um, and it's well, it's well recounted that um, Peter and, and his partner at the time, Ben, they never, they never set out to really start a business that released records. Um, fast forward perhaps many, many years and we've worked with many, many people who were perhaps either heroes or, or those people that were, uh, we were buying their records to people that we felt were doing things that were interesting and things that we were really feeling in the first instance, passionate about what they were doing. As time's gone on, I think there's been a, sh that, that, that ethic, that, that sense of feeling still exists, but as time's gone on, 
there has been a shift as well or more uh, engagement with the business side of it so for example when I when I hear a, a, a new record one of the first things that goes through my head is not only perhaps alongside any passionate feelings I'm having towards it I'm immediately trying to place it into who will support this record whether it be a radio whether it be um, a, a press and I use press in the broadest broadest sense a, a club um, and also to an extent sometimes who, who, who are my friends would like this would like this uh, would like this record because I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, engaging friends and family um, in, in a project at the early stages and saying look what do you think about this you know your tastemakers not only the, the 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 key people at radio yeah they might be the the gatekeepers to you beginning to make some sort of meaningful money with it but there does need to be a sense of maintaining the quality and um, Curiously enough, as, as Will will know, and I can't say who it is because we can't, we don't know whether it will happen, but we're, we're involved in some engagement with an artist at the moment who has um, very significant history for the last 20 years. And it just so happens that um, Catherine, who is very, uh, very much core BB family, has been a fan of this band for probably 10 or 15 years so it's kind of quite interesting to say to somebody who's been a fan all that time what do you think of this you know and um, getting a kind of additional thumbs up is really um, is kind of like okay yeah well if we're having conversations with them we're having conversations for the right reasons because here is a fan who who likes them not that that should be the only reason for signing the band I mean yes it could, it could be argued, argued though that that person, that friend or family, is more representative of the end user for the project that you're looking at to signing into a label. Because you give it to a radio DJ or a club DJ, very often a club DJ will play something um, not because they're supporting the artist so much, but they're trying to drive their own career forward. Yeah, absolutely. So when you do speak absolutely. to grassroots level fan base, who could be Marjorie from number 10, or whatever, you're actually getting a, a more, um, sort of, a more open and honest reaction to the product, because ultimately, you want it on those streaming sites, you want it on those download sites, and you want those people wandering up and down the street that you look at every day, wandering around London going, what the hell do you do for a living? Where are you going? What are you up to? You want them listening to your music, because they're the ones that will fuel the success and the ongoing success of that project. You know, the radio DJs will support it for a couple of weeks, or however long that they're perhaps paid to support something by a PR company, mm. and then they're moving on to the next label and the next artist to support because they've got to keep the radio station current. You know, it's not uncommon on a regular basis that people are buying singles and albums that we've all been involved with five, ten years, fifteen years down the road, going, I'd never heard of you before. And I came across this because Spotify said, if you like this, you might like these guys. 
I which is another positive thing. Com conversation I, uh, that uh, alludes to something that Kiko and I were talking about earlier. We, we've certainly done a lot of talking today, but we 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 were discussing the need for a, a, the long a long process of maintaining the relevance of a record compared with what historically was a build to a peak around ship and release and consumption and then maybe a second wave around a tour and then it's kind of all over and is it harder now i don't know but one thing i'm very clear about is maintaining the relevance of a record and maintaining it in the consciousness of fans is something that you you need to be doing for a, for a considerable period of time if you're going to make anything meaningful if the artist is going to make its money back if if, if the if the label is going to make its money back it's probably going to need to work out how it will do that and it is all about the it's, long game. Yeah. It is all about the long game. <clears throat> Something that's interesting, I guess, counterintuitive, is that it appears that perhaps in the digital era, it actually takes longer, even though the delivery is immediate. Perhaps because of the amount, as we discussed earlier, the amount of music out there, the amount of noise around, perhaps it takes, you know, a great record a little bit longer to kind of rise up through all of that noise. Yeah, very much I think so. You're, I think you're right. Yeah. Because you're not likely, well there's, there, there's unlikely to be the peak, so what would happen historically, um, let's go back to maybe even the 70s where you'd have like, you'd have these salespeople um, from different labels or distributors would be quite literally going around the country with, with a car boot full of records perhaps they're paying the shops to boost the figures but it's all about what happened uh, when the top 40 was announced and, and and what happened on top of the pops and maybe that doesn't sound like it's relevant to the, the five magazine reader or the Kiko Navarra fan or the Richard Earnshaw spirit chaser fan but I, I think it's the same kind of principle it's it's changed it's not about trying to get that peak on a Thursday night or a Tuesday afternoon when the charts announced and then you're on top of the pops and then Sunday afternoon or evening you're listening to the charts that's how it used to work in the UK it's still relevant to an extent but you've somehow got to, you've somehow got to extend that for months months maybe years in order to get your money back on maybe one record mm -hmm. so I guess the takeaway from because all of us in some in, in, at some level are involved in running labels and have been. So I guess the takeaway partly for an aspiring artist is to really not, A, to not take it personally if, if a label doesn't sign your music because as we've just heard, you're kind of, we're looking at things, uh, uh, they have to be a fit for both sides. And also for artists to target their music, you know, think about what kind of label is going to want the kind of music that they're making. Well, do you know what? One of the this is an appropriate time to do this, by the way. Mm. Okay, just to get that out of the way. Yeah, this um, this reminds me, you know, who Thomas Van Galter 
uh, EP on roulette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one, one of the my sponsorship th- hasn't come through from the generic, <laughs> the generic <laughs> beer company. No, it hasn't. So uh, um, <laughs> we're just going to call it beer. Uh, we're still, yeah. We are still in Spain, eh? Yeah, it, it's a generic. It's a generic Spanish, Spanish beer. beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> generic. We, we, we to mention we, their name until they pay us. You know that it maybe it's more popular out of Spain than inside. Eh? I think so. Everybody knows it, but it's not the one that I usually drink. We What's wanted what? to make you feel more at home because Thank the weather's you so let much. us down. What Thank do you, you. Dr- what do you drink on Mallorca? What's the, what's your favorite favorite you, local beer? Uh, we have a, a few in Mallorca actually, mm. but uh, we there is one that it's um, called Inedit from Estrella. I know the beer. Yeah, Estrella really has this Inedit version. Yeah. Uh, For those is, listening, Will's face has just lit up like it's Christmas time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know this beer very well. <laughs> but yeah, we have many, many good beers in, in Spain. But uh, actually, this one is everywhere. I, I, I saw in Asia there is a version of it that I think is like a bootleg. Now that we are oh, a bit moonshine music, going music talking. Really? Yeah, I, I saw this one. With a totally different logo, but still it's, it says the same. But it's another one. Wow. Yeah. Beer bootlegging. Beer bootlegging. Beer bootlegging. Beer bootlegging. History for Chicago yeah. people as well. Twelve oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So let's 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 move back to to life. Both of you have young children. Um, do you think since having having families? that it's kind of created more balance in your life because obviously the industry and being on the road a lot can kind of take you in one direction and also would you say that since having children and having families that maybe it's it's changed your music and your approach to making music let's go with you first Kiko. Um, having family for me means responsibility in different aspects like uh, um, because music and, and I mean like producing and DJing is my work. I live from, from this. So I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed that I can live from what I love. So that means that in order to, to get uh, whatever is necessary for, the, for when my kids are going to grow up, I need to keep doing this and make sure that I get the the money to, to, to cover that, like education, school, uh, many things, you know? So I feel more responsible and maybe now when I make music, somehow it's in my unconscious, uh, like a- Consciousness. Consciousness, yeah. yeah. But when you do it without thinking about that, you say unconscious? Unconscious, yes. 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 So, so then, um, Maybe I, 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 what I, what is happening now that is when I make music, I'm more focused on it because also I don't, I don't have that much time that I had before when I didn't have kids. So now it's really okay. I get now I have like let's say four or five hours. So let's focus on it and and let's do what I, what I have in my idea, what I have inside, or whatever I want to express through the music. Maybe before. I was more like, uh, okay, let's try this, let's let's try that. Mm-hmm. So now it's more like, let's go to the point and, and let's do this. Um, but in general, I, I think having family 
it gives you more happiness so that happiness somehow it's on your music also because at the end we we put on on our music our passion our feelings our moods so in my case I, i'm blessed with my family so it's it's all positive so it has been much better than before right i, th- I mean I'll, I'll echo that 100 but also for me um one of the things that i've noticed is how we as adults we complicate everything so much in life and when you have your own children and you know the most distressing thing for them is not knowing where their toy car is or you know just the 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 simplicity of how they live their lives and everything is just very very black and white and you know they they forgive so easily you know they'll have a like i've got two brother you know two boys they have a massive scrap there'll be tears and tantrums and two minutes later they'll be snuggled up together on the sofa under the blanket you know reading a story or or you know just kind of it's for, for me definitely it was this kind of realization that as you grow older as, as you gather more responsibility through life um, it's so easy to lose sight of how simple it actually should be mm-hmm. like and then taking that towards making music you know I find myself you know I'm so um, I, my eye for detail when I'm mixing for example and when I'm mastering we're, we're talking you know the difference of 0.25 of a decibel at 2100 kilohertz or you know the 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 level of detail is just so unbelievable because that's what I'm doing. I'm sat there, I'm listening to it, but then you kind of take a step back and think, nobody's going to notice. Literally, nobody's going to notice. Yeah. And you just kind of go, let's just simplify this process a little bit. And then you kind of then reapproach it. And even through the production process, you know, you'll, you'll create this masterpiece of music. You're listening to it and go, I can hear exactly everything that's going on here. But then you suddenly have a realization and go, I don't need seven different hi-hats doing all different types of counter rhythms and all this kind of stuff. You know, you're almost creating more work for yourself in the long run by overcomplicating stuff. And certainly for me, by living my life through the eyes of my children in a way of how simple everything is for them and how basic it is. You know, their needs are so few. Um, it's been a real eye-opener. You know, I don't, you know, like this this need that you go, when you, as you grow up, you think, I want to earn money because I want things. You know, you want this, you want that, and da 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 And now I'm just like, well, I don't need those things. I just need good food on the table and healthy children and just, you know, an easy life making music. And hopefully there won't be any problems when you go traveling, you know, and you fly to here, there and everywhere. And you think, all I, all I really care about is that the people at the other end have an amazing time and I get back safely. That's literally all it is. It's not about how many Snapchats can I do or how many selfie pictures can I put up and how many people are liking it and hovering over the Facebook to see who's liking, commenting and da 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 It's like, it literally doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. You know, if Facebook dropped off the face of the planet tomorrow, Instagram, Twitter, all of them, I couldn't give two shits. I really couldn't. Not even three shits. 
that leads us onto it. <laughs> that leads us onto another point because for those of you who who listen to Richard Earnshaw's Eye Culture uh, podcast and radio show, which is is highly recommended, um, he also interviewed Kiko Navarro earlier on, and they were discussing Robert Miles. Mm. So it's an interesting point to bring in at this point because I, I think you said something quite wonderful, Richard, on on Facebook just after his passing. Um, and I was just wondering if, if you guys have any any stories or memories about him that, that you could share. And one of the things that, that I heard just after um, he left us, that Mark Lawrence actually, <clears throat> who's the president of the Association for Electronic Music, who uh, actually lives very close to, mm. to Kiko Navarro in Mallorca now, um, said something that, that I didn't realise, that Robert Miles had actually, during the process of, of creating the track Children, he was thinking about people getting home safe after a rave and a record that could be played at the end of a party to kind of bring people almost back into their bodies and into their lucid minds to get home safely. It's just such a wonderful concept for a, for a, a dance record. It certainly is. I'm, I remember listening to it, the first time I heard it would have been 1995. I remember it vividly because I just moved into digs at university for my final year and it was on a compilation that was released by Platypus Records um, and I remember hearing that record and thinking wow that's pretty awesome I mean we you know, there was no we didn't have Google other web browsers and web search engines are available of course um, but it was just one of those things, you just don't know where these records came from. And I think it was 1997 that children um, yeah. then suddenly kind of kind of washed over all the, uh, all the various charts in various territories. You know, back in those days when you could hear a record and it would take a year and a half for the buzz to accumulate into a successful release, much like um, uh, Maloko, Sing It Back. Mm. I remember seeing the first white labels uh, the Boris de Lugosh remixes with this little white um, Westie on the front. Yeah. And I was like, this is a brilliant record. And you know, you'd be playing it as a DJ, and people, you know, every, just it just went in here one and out the other for most people. And then again, a year, eighteen months later, Bosch is I don't know what where it charted in the UK, but it was it may have been number one. I'm not sure, but you know, it's that's that's the the kind of that just goes to show how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> but Basically, you know, you know what makes me think when this thing, when these kind of things happen, is that, uh, um, okay, unfortunately, we are in in general, we are talking about people when they pass away, because um, who who talk about Robert Miles for the last. Almost ten years. Well, yeah, precisely. Yeah. Who? Can you say? Oh no, I, I can genuinely say that maybe I've not nobody. Se- I've not seen or heard his name mentioned in any. So, of- so what I think is that we, as uh, as humans, we should. Uh, it's it's really sad to show support to artists when they can't realize about that support. Yeah. So what I mean is that somehow. We are, our, our nature, it's like, uh, okay, we love these artists when the artist is not here. 
So why we don't show the love when they mm -hmm. can enjoy it? Like, okay, we love this artist. We love this song that this artist made. So just show the love. Not when the, the artist is, is not here. So this is for me a bit frustrating. It's because fun, yeah. Yeah. because now everybody uh, also I'm not going to say that everybody's fake because it's, it's not like this but all of the sudden now that we talk about Robert Miles how many people play the track nowadays because of that and I would ask how of you are you feeling the track when you are playing it and you and how many of you you play the track because now it's trendy this is what it really uh, annoys me, you know? Mm. The, the, the trying to be good for the people against, yes, this is my tribute because I love the track and I play many times when it went out and now I want to play it as a memory or whatever. So this is the, the two things that uh, are against each other, you know? Absolutely, and I think it's not really discussed enough that, you know, uh, Robert Miles was living in Ibiza, wasn't he? And he had, he was uh, running a, a kind of digital radio station and continuing yeah. to support new electronic music of all shades and inviting people to the island to, yeah. to be in interviewed and to do sessions, both, you know, both live sessions and, and recording sessions, you know, and I think that's an important factor, you know, not just that Yeah, track. but the other day I saw a video from uh, an opening party in Ibiza. One of the DJs played the track. Everybody was like, wow. My question is, why did you play this? Mm. Because now you are cool mm. in this in this particular moment, or because you really feel it inside? It's like it's a little bit too convenient. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting point, because that speaks to, in the past, when we were all just buying records, you know, particularly here in the UK talking about Chicago, you know, we were buying these records and we were imagining what this place might be like and where these people were making these records. We had no idea who they were. So maybe that mystique, because everyone is on social media, you know exactly what someone looks like and how they speak and how they move. And and sometimes they, you know, they're talking schmack on, on social media and it kind of turns you off them a bit. So maybe death is kind of like that mystique again. Maybe this is why people are so obsessed with artists who've passed away now, because it's like all of the mystique that we had before when, when you were at a distance from the artist yeah. is gone. Yeah. It's very possible, but also, and I suppose the other way of, of looking at it in more negatively, it's people using the unfortunate demise of others to elevate their own yeah. ego, okay. ego. Totally agree. Which is what I put on the Facebook post, is like, what I don't want to see now are people doing their own edits and remixes of children because it was a perfect record mm. it was perfect there was you know it doesn't need to be mucked about with um yeah, you know yeah. if you want to show compassion then yeah you know appreciate the music for what it is how he intended it yeah. but there will be those that will play it now because it's like hey you know poor blokes died so I'm going to play this record and everybody's going to think I'm a really compassionate, warm-hearted, loving DJ. Absolutely. Even though I've not played this record for 12 years. Or maybe ever before. Or ever. Yeah. 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 And it is unfortunate. Yes. Let's move on to uh, to, to more positive things. <laughs> Kiko, in, in the feature we did. For
for Five magazine, um, we were talking about the use of acid yeah. in, in your album, and it's kind yeah. of across the album. It's almost like the glue, <laughs> kind of, it, it pops up. Yeah, you know, it yeah. bubbles up in different tracks. You know, some of them are Latin, some of them are soulful, and there's, you know, yeah, some yeah, of them, yeah. oh, there's a bit of acid. You know, it's kind of, it comes through. And, and something that struck me when we talked before is you talked about how that acid sound really helps you to convey emotion, whether it's anger or, or, mm -hmm. or you know, desire or whatever. It's kind of, so that humanity that you get from that sound, do you think electronic artists have to work harder to convey emotion through the music than someone playing a saxophone or a guitar, you know, because we're using digital things? And is that something you think about when you're making records? Um, I think whatever you do with a very simple instrument or even just uh, two sticks or whatever, uh, if you feel it, the people can feel it. So I say that with about the, the, the acid because you can you can express that, but the same thing you can do it with any instrument. And anybody who has a, a little bit of sensibility about music can really feel if that musician is playing from, from the soul or is just playing I don't know because he's doing a job and he has to get some money, has to be paid. So it's not a mat it's not about the instrument. It's about how you play the instrument. So this is basically what I think. Richard, <laughs> <laughs> I was so engrossed that I've, I've completely lost my train of thought. That doesn't happen very often, does it? Become a member of the audience. <laughs> I have become a member of the audience. <laughs> Actually, more, more truthfully, I was wondering, would it would it be really out of place to uh, go to the lavatory and flush the toilet yeah, whilst I need, you're recording I need, it? I need also. Do you need to go to the bog as well? Should we pause? Yeah. Should we have a bog pause? pause? Can I? <laughs> yeah, let's pause. As Richard Earnshaw and Kiko Navarro head off hand in hand to the toilet, it seems a good time to break this very extended and extensive interview, which turned into much more of a ramble. We'll pick it up again next month. Make sure you subscribe to Five Magazine where you can read extended features and interviews with Kiko Navarro and Richard Earnshaw individually. Until next month, I have been Will Sumsuch, DJ, producer and roving reporter for Five Magazine. See you next time.